Grab your Bibles now and open up to Luke chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 38 through 42. I'm going to read them, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to study it out. It says, Now it happened, as they went, that he, that's Jesus, entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha Stewart. No? Oh, no, Martha. My Martha. Named, you'll, you'll get it. Named Martha, welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. <laughs> Stop right there. Martha, Martha, Martha. Have, have you ever yelled at the Lord? Have you ever told him to figure it out? Have you ever told the Lord, do you not see what I'm doing? Lord, does anybody see what I'm doing? Would you just get the people on board with what I'm doing? Now, Martha, what she was doing, by the way, wasn't wrong. It was good. She was serving the Lord, being hospitable to him, caring for his needs, but she was doing it the wrong way. So if you're a Christian here today, seeking to do the right thing, this is a very important message for you. I want to do the right thing. Most of us do, and a lot of us probably are doing the right thing. The Lord would, though, ask you and I, are you doing it the right way? What? There's a right way to do the right thing? Yeah, next level. I know, and it's right here. And Martha is our case study, and we're going to learn from her and Mary as well. Look at verse 41. Jesus, in his kind, compassionate, I believe, tone, not Liam Neeson. Okay? He's not a Liam Neeson tone here. This is more of a Mr. Rogers tone. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but only one thing is needed, and Mary's chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Would, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We're going to pray. Father, in Jesus' name, now as we study this portion, as we look at two of your friends, as we see their life, they were on the scene with Jesus Christ. Just two normal gals, sisters. Lord, what a duo. They had a brother as well, Lazarus. And these were your friends. And I pray in Jesus' name now as we look at them and how they interacted with you and these obvious mistakes that Martha made and obvious victories that Mary had, that we, Lord, would be sensitive enough to say, that's kind of like me. I think I do that sometimes. I'm right here serving the Lord and being hospitable and being aggressive and doing stuff, but I wonder if, I wonder if I'm nagging. I wonder if I'm impatient. I wonder if I'm prideful. I wonder if I'm distracted. And, and may we, Lord, who are Marthas or have a Martha proclivity today, be aware of that. And I pray all of us, Lord, would be encouraged by Mary. And would say, oh, am I doing the Mary stuff? Am I sitting at the feet of the Lord listening? Am I ministering to him in that way and receiving ministry from him? And I pray, Lord, that all of us would be encouraged by Mary today and that we wouldn't give Martha bum rap. She's a can-do kind of gal. I like her. I am a Martha. And I pray that we would learn and we'd become better today. We thank you, Jesus, for this time that you set aside. I pray for help now in teaching and for help for everyone else in listening. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... 
Well, this is uh, an exciting day because we get the privilege of looking into God's word and studying the very real accounts of two of Jesus' very good friends, Mary and Martha. And the way that we look into God's word, today we're in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, only four verses. We look into God's word and we glean out of God's word that which we can study, know, understand, and then apply to our lives and change. And this happens in two basic ways. The first way, and I believe the most important way, is to study God's word, looking to who God is and what God says, okay? That's the first and most important. A lot of people, by the way, don't look at God's word wanting to know who God is and what God said. They just want to quickly want to go to what it says about me and what I do. Today's message is about what I do and who I am. That's what it's about. But primarily when you study God's word, it is important to look at it and see who God is and what God's done and what God's said. This happens in the Old Testament when you read throughout the scriptures, Genesis all the way to Malachi, and in the New Testament, Matthew to Revelation. Who is God? What's he do? And what's he say? And when you study it that way, your view and vision of God will expand. That's why I love studying the Gospels because it's all about Jesus. That's why I love reading the red letters. That's why I love reading the Old Testament in a, what I call the panoramic view or that grand meta-narrative understanding of Genesis to Revelation that it's all a story about God with a few extras and live characters like you and me. Let's be honest, though. When you're studying the scriptures, who God is, what God says, and what God does, and then to apply it to your life, do you get a little overwhelmed at times when you see the holiness of God and the bigness of God and the righteousness of God and the plan of God, and you're like, I want to do that so bad, but I, but I can't. And, and Jesus comes along and says, be holy, for I am holy. You're like, on my to-do list, for sure. It's on there. Like, I highlighted it, memorized it, put a question mark by it. Not sure how to go about that. And when Jesus says, forgive your enemies, you're like, working on that, too. You know, or all these things are trust and fear not. And That's what we're supposed to do, though, to study God's word. Who is he? What's he done? What's he say? And as we look at it that way, our lives will be in proper proximity to who he is. And he's elevated, and we are the worshipers, and he is the worshipee. He is the creator. We are the created. And we find our rightful position not worshiping ourselves. And by the way, when we do this, this is the process of sanctification. Where you look at God and you say, really? That's really what he wants me to do? Are you for real? That's big time. And maybe you're like me and you've been working at this for many years and you're still not very impressed with the man in the mirror. And you've been doing this for a while and you know the verses and you know the text, but you wake up every day and you're like, darn it, it's me again. (sighs) And I've looked at all the books on my shelf and I've read most of them or at least bought all of them. And I'm nowhere near where I want to be. And here's the good news. God says, I want you to keep looking. Look at my son. Look at me. Just read the book of Revelation, okay? It scares me. That's okay. Read it. Read Isaiah. It scares me. That's okay. Read it. It scares me. I don't understand all this. Read it. And let God be bigger in your mind. It's okay. And then ask the Holy Spirit, would you help sanctify me? That's his ministry toward us. Would you teach? Would you make me more holy? Would you make me more loving? Would you teach me these great attributes that are just so big and, and so powerful? I don't even think I can wrap my mind around it. And in yourself, you can't. But the gift of God through the Holy Spirit says, this is, this is the path I have you on. 
It's the path of sanctification. I like to envision it as a conveyor belt, okay? Just stay on the conveyor belt of life. And you're going through, and God's bringing stuff in and taking stuff out, and stuff happens to you as you stay in the vine in him. Okay, so that's, that's the goal. And I would, I would just remind you who are here, especially younger people, God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. He wants to change you. I would also say this. It's not a rush, okay? God doesn't want to rush through this and get some stuff done. You do, if you're a young person especially. One person in a Bible college years ago asked his professor, can I just take the exam and not the class? You know, I've kind of been, I kind of know this stuff. I just kind of, why do I have to take the whole class again? I just want to take the exam. And the professor said, well, it depends on what you want to be. It only takes six months to grow a squash, but it takes 100 years to grow a mighty oak. So it depends on what trajectory you're on. He took the class. We want things to be fast. We want to grow. God says to us, you know what? I, you will grow. And I will, one by one, through my Holy Spirit, reveal things in your life that are out of sync with my character and who I am. This is great news. I would actually give you two P words to focus on the rest of your life. One is progress, and the other is perfection. Okay, we all want perfection, don't we? Start something out, going to do a woodworking project, going to do a garden, going to do a relationship, and we just want perfection. And guess what happens the first time you do any of those things? Eh, not perfection. It's horrible. But the Lord would say to you and to me in our processing, are you, are you progressing at all? Are you just progressing towards perfection? Let me deal with the end product. You just submit yourself to me as a man or a woman and say, Lord, how am I doing? How's my heart? And the Lord will show you. Right now, you need to look at me and look at my son, and you're not right where you need to be. And as you study God's word, he will be faithful to show you how to progress. His job is perfection. Your job is progression. Okay, again, if you're a young person here today, ask yourself, are you better now at following God and honoring him and understanding him than you were last year? Maybe as an older person, too. Are you still progressing? That being said, we do that primarily by studying God in the word of, uh, that he's given to us and in the model through his son. The second way that we study God's word okay, isn't to learn from God and his example of how he lived and what he said and what he did in the Old Testament, but it's to study the men and women of the scriptures that are given to us. Have you ever read this book before? You realize it's rated R in some places, don't you? You realize it gets nutty, downright scandalous. When it records the acts and the works of God, it's amazing. It's glorious. It's off the charts. But when it details and records the works of men and women, Old Testament through the New Testament, it's downright funny at times. He did what? She did what? And as you study it, God's given it to us to learn from their victories and from their failures, from their successes and from their triumphs. It's actually been said before that experience is the best teacher, but it doesn't have to be your experience. You don't have to go through all the things that these men and women went through in order to learn something. Last night, my wife and I were praying for our kids. And I was just praying. I was just laboring. Lord, don't let my kids have to go through what I went through to, to learn who you are. Let them find out who you are at a very young age. Don't let them pick a path and figure out how it works. Let them establish a deep connection with it. Just protect them, Lord. May, now, I don't want them to have my experience. I really don't. Now, I'm thankful for where I am now. God has used every single part of my life, yours too, to get you where you are right now. He's been faithful. But you can learn from other people. You can learn. As a matter of fact, this Friday, I'm going down to Ashland, and I'll be teaching at the Westminster Presbyterian Youth Group Boxar Retreat uh, Winter Camp, and I'm teaching on the life of Joseph. 
Okay, teach you on Joseph, because I want these kids to understand Joseph's life as he did what God asked him to do in the midst of a pagan land, and he didn't bow down to what was going on around with Potiphar's wife and all the stuff, and he was able to be used by God, and I want them to learn from his experience, and by the way, I'll be back by Sunday, just so you guys know. Um, don't, don't, don't panic. I'll be back, and I'm going to stay down there till Saturday for a memorial, going down there for a friend, and I'll be back. But learning from the scriptures, we begin to understand how God deals with people in real-life events under real-life pains and real-life strains. Now, let me just summarize that okay, in case you missed this opening introduction, okay? because this is going to help you when you read the Bible at home. Some of you are reading the Bible right now. You don't know how to read it. You're reading it wrong. Okay, when you read the Bible at home, read it in those two ways. What does this say about God? First, what does this, even today's story, Mary and Martha, they're our prime case studies. What does this say about God, his kindness, his benevolence, his friendship, his commitment to these two, that he was just a normal, just down low bro, just wanting to hang out and share the word, and Martha's all freaking out, trying to get this seven-course meal, you know, and I'm not sure how they even have seven courses in a village like that, you know, all this stuff, and Jesus loves you, and he loves people, and he just wants to be with you. It says so much about God, but the second way we read the scriptures is, what does this say about Daniel? What does it say about Joseph? What does this say about Moses? What, is this, what can I learn from Peter? What can I learn from Paul? As a matter of fact, early this morning, I was meditating on Peter and Paul, two of my heroes, and even just dealing with the own plagues of my mind. You have your plagues, I have mine. And I was thinking about Peter and Paul. They were both plagued in their minds with failures, mistakes, habits. They were both just du- normal dudes, man. And they changed the world. And I don't know about you, but I'm just a normal dude, okay? Some of you are normal dudes. Other of you are normal dudettes. You just, you just, it's just you. What are you going to do with yourself? I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to figure out how God's grace was applied to their life. Now I'm going to apply it to my own. One of my favorite books of the Bible is First and Second Peter. Just read First and Second Peter. If he could write a book, man, I, I, can, I got hope for myself. Okay? God can use this fisherman, this rough and gruff, tough, failure, loser, idiot, okay? untrained. Verse, four, verse 13 of chapter 4 of the book of Acts said he was an idiot. Read it in the Greek. Idiotos in the Greek. God can use you. So we're going to study this out. Okay, you guys ready for this? So let me ask you a couple questions before we study these two sisters, these siblings with uh, very different characteristics. Uh, how many of you guys have a strong trait or a quality trait or a good trait uh, about you? You got some, st- some strong traits. Raise your hand if you got some strong qualities. All of your hands should be going up. You got, you got something, you know, like, I can breathe. Does that count? I breathe. I, I breathe the air. That's good. Raise your hand up. Raise your hand up. Okay. Man, you guys are not very confident in yourself. Get that coffee for everybody. Oh, I got some good. You all got good traits, okay? You do stuff. You, you've done stuff. You're unique, okay? A different question. You don't need to raise your hand. But how many of you guys also recognize not, not only do you have good traits and quality traits and strong traits about you, you also have some weak traits and some bad traits and some poor quality traits. So you got some negative things about you. They're like, yeah, I, just, I try not to let that person show up very often. And if he shows up, I put him in the closet. And I've got some good stuff that I offer to the team. And I've got some stuff that also makes the team inferior if I'm not careful, and uh, the reality is is none of us are identical to the person sitting next to you. Matter of fact, if the person sitting next to you was identical to you, would you both stand up right now? Both of you just stand up? You would both stand up if you were identically. Nobody wants to stand up because nobody's identical. You're absolutely unique in your personality traits, and that's beautiful. 
And God's given to you weak traits that you need to work on. He's given to you strong traits that you need to protect and to promote and to present to the mission of Jesus. And we get to study two very different sisters in the Bible today. They loved each other. Mary and Martha did. They loved the Lord. And uh, they weren't alone. They also had a brother uh, with them, Lazarus. They were their family unit. And uh, the cool thing is, is that uh, they were very different in their expression of their love. And uh, to one degree, that's beautiful, and to the degree that we let it, that expression of our personality can also, though, lead us into what I would say a weakness or even a sinfulness that the Lord wants to work on today. So before I begin, I'm going to go through what I call six observations of the text. Okay, just write, I've read it already to you, and just six general observations, and in my studying and in my reading, I came across these six observations I want to share them with you because I think they're very helpful. Number one, Jesus had foes, fans, and friends. Okay, he had lots of foes, lots of enemies who just cho- chose to not like Jesus. They chose to reject him, to criticize him, to take him down. Jesus also had lots of fans that chose to just be his fans from a distance. And they loved Jesus. They liked his posts. They shared his comments. They went after his tours and his teachings. And Jesus also had friends. Now, the difference between fans, foes, and friends is that fans choose you. That You can't choose your fans. They choose, they choose you, the people who like you from a distance. I just like that guy. I like that person. I like that. They choose you. You can't choose them. Foes also, you can't choose. They choose you. For whatever reason, they just choose to hate you. They're not going to appreciate you. And if you're in leadership, you're a coach, uh, you're a, a, a business leader, or even an employee running some rigs or doing something, you're in charge, or you're a student, or an athlete, or whatever, somebody, you're going to have fans that just kind of support you from a distance, they kind of dig what you want, and they, they want you to perform, you're going to have some foes that choose you. The difference is, is that you don't choose your fans, you don't choose your foes, but you do choose your friends. Jesus chose these three, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, as his friends. I was actually thinking about Jesus' friends this morning, and I could only come up with six. Okay, I, I, it was, I didn't take very much time. Only six that I could come up with. Th- these three that I just mentioned, and, and Peter, James, and John. And even James was kind of a weak link. I don't really know if, if Jesus considered him a friend. He, he was a disciple. He was an apostle, one of the chosen ones. He became the pillar of the church. But really, Jesus only had a few relationships that were friend-oriented. And I think this is important for us to be healthy as we move forward. Who are your friends? Not just your acquaintances or your friendly people or your fans, if you want to use that word. We have lots of people around us that aren't our foes. They're probably just fans. They just admire us. But who are your real friends? And it's, in my understanding, my experience, I should say, it's really only possible to have three, maybe six, possibly a handful, maybe as many fingers as you have, real friends on your hands. As a matter of fact, I heard one pastor say, if you have six people that show up to your funeral and are willing to carry your casket, Okay, you did well. Just six. Six, friends, six people that are willing to just, they're going to cry when they put you in the ground. Six people that loved you dearly in that way. I like to think that Jesus had friends, not just fans. Not just foes, that's obvious. And so who, who are your friends? Who are your friends? The second observation, I've got to get through this because we're going to run out of time. I've got a lot, a lot of talking to do today. Uh, Jesus had friends. That was the first observation. The second observation is this. Jesus' friends ministered to him. Okay, Jesus ministered to the multitudes, and his friends took care of him. 
Mary and Martha. Can you imagine how nice it would have been to go to Mary and Martha's house in the middle of teaching and touring and lecturing and traveling? Jesus is ministering to the multitudes. There's thousands of people showing up. Everyone wants a piece of Jesus. Everyone's excited to meet Jesus. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus say, hey, you can just come here. We're going to minister to you. We don't want you to fall apart in the midst of this. We don't want you to get burned out. We don't want you to have to serve us necessarily. We'd like to serve you where every single other person is pulling on his, his robe and trying to get something from him. And these friends ministered to Jesus. So here's my question to you. Who are your friends that you minister to? Not the ones you want to perform for you. The ones you just want to keep going. I hope hope they do good, man. If they do good, I feel good. I want them to keep. Who are the ones you're concerned about? The ones that you're, man, I, I just need to send them a note. Pray for them. I need to wash their feet and lift them up. That list might be small for you. Okay, that's okay. Jesus had some friends that took care of him in order that he could take care of many people. This is both unilateral, it goes back and forth. Who are the friends you're taking care of? And who are the friends that you let take care of you? Do you appreciate them? Is it, is it, is it unilateral? Does it go back and forth? Do they feel your care and concern? This is all work to be done. We're learning from these two gals. Just, nah, I don't know if I'm a very good friend, you might say. I don't know if I have any friends. I got a lot of fans, you know, people that I see. I got, a lot, I got some foes. Don't raise your hand. Anybody got any foes? I got some foes. People that just choose not to like me and criticize everything I do. But I've also got friends, and so do you. And those friends are important to you, and I would just, it's such a fun thing to meditate on. Am I serving them the way I want to be served? And and Jesus had friends. They said, come on, you're, you're busy, you're tired. By the way, Jesus is in his, contextually, in his projection, he's walking towards Jerusalem to die. This is the last couple months. As a matter of fact, in this house, Bethany, this is about two miles from Jerusalem. This is how close he is to Jerusalem. After chapter 10 is over, we're going to see a litany and a series of teaching. Chapter 11, 12, 13, teaching, teaching. Jesus is lecturing just weeks before he dies on the cross. This is like right at the very end, and he needs to be ministered to. He's traveling, walking. He wasn't flying first class. He wasn't flying coach. He was actually walking. He's very tired. And his friends say, hey, come here. Jesus, come on. Sit down right here. We've got a spot for you. We're going to get you some food. There's fresh linens in the back. All this, we're going to take care of you so you can then do what God has sent you to do. We're very selfish, aren't we? We're very self-seeking in our culture. Most of us are just holding on by a couple threads. Like, I realize that. You're all just kind of just, oh, man, I'm barely getting by. How can I serve anybody else? You just ask the Lord, who do you want me to serve? How can I serve somebody? How can I serve my friends? What do my friends need? Appreciate those friends. Value those friends. Jesus had friends. In order that he would continue on, uh, I'll just tell one story. Pastor Bo and I have been friends since right on age 11. We've seen each other in our best days, our worst days, and that we care for each other. So earlier this week, two weeks ago, Bo, Pastor Bo said, give me your Facebook login info. I need your personal account info, and I'm going to log in, and I'm going to change your account to a public figure account, which will change a lot of the things, a lot of the comments and accessibility and availability, and it'll also extend your reach because you're at 5,000 friends, and you can't have any more friends. You have too many friends, fans, let's call them. You have too much going on. And so Pastor Bo said, you need to change this, and we got this advice from Pastor Daniel Fusco in order to make sure that I don't burn out, I get upwards of 10 to 40 messages per day via messenger and email and text and phone calls, people asking for stuff. That's my job. That's what I do. That's what God wants me to do, and I need to stay strong in order to do that. So Pastor Bo said, hey, give me all your personal account info, and I'm going to navigate this in order that you don't burn out on my watch. As a matter of fact, when we hired Pastor Bo, because we're really good friends, uh, Mark Watkins, he's our treasurer, uh, uh, he told Bo, he said, you're in charge of him. And Bo's like, well, I don't want to be in charge of anything. <laughs> and he said, You're, watch him. Watch Pastor Luke. 
your best friend. Make sure he doesn't implode. Make sure he doesn't freak out. Make sure he doesn't go down. Okay? How many people do you have in your life doing that for you? I bet you have at least two or three, maybe one, maybe your spouse. Somebody just cares about you. But it's unilateral. How many people could say that about you? You just care for them. You don't just want to take, 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 take. Okay? You're selfish. I'm selfish. That's what we are. As a matter of fact, I tend to hesitate to even contact certain people. Because the last time I contacted them, I needed something from them. And I'm contacting them again because I need something from them. And I don't want to be that guy. Man. And it happens. Okay, that's also how the body works. There is a normalcy in that. Overcome it. Humble yourself. You have not because you ask not. Jesus here had friends. Uh, number three, I've got to move along here. Uh, simple observation. Uh, Jesus was single and male. And Jesus had single female friends and there was nothing weird going on it's a simple observation but i need you to see this jesus had friends of the opposite sex and in that day this would have been pretty big deal this would have been bigger than normal nowadays it's very normal to have female friends and co-workers and male female relationships that aren't sexual that aren't intimate that aren't relational that aren't anything weird in that way we see jesus able to do that here in this culture then which would have been rocking people's minds and it's something that you and i as men and women in a various a varied culture need to be able to also learn from and how do we do that in a way that doesn't drift into weirdness Okay? We live in a very hyper-sexualized culture. Everything, man, woman, just all of a sudden, the culture, the media, and, and our sinful nature just gravitates towards impropriety and weirdness. Okay? It happens. Here's the beauty. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to because of two simple words that the Bible includes into Christianity that change everything between a male-female relationship that isn't supposed to become emotional or intimate or physical in any way. Those two words are brother and sister. And this is something that will help you, especially you young people, young men and women who are kind of trying to figure out, does this guy like me? Does that girl like me? Did she just give me the eyes? Did she, get, she gave me the eyes, you know. And that's always like, ah, you know, everybody, you know. And it starts in middle school or elementary school. Do you like me? Put yes for yes and no for no. And you pass the no, you know. And the chick eats the no. You're like, what's that mean, you know. And it's crazy, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend. It's all that. Listen. I need to just help you. Those of you who are trying hard, okay, to stay right and to stay pure, whether you're single or married, you should really try and stay pure if you're married, okay? While guarding your heart, because your heart's wicked, and it'll trick you so fast, while guarding your heart, know this, that you're allowed to have friendship with the opposite sex, and it's very easy, and it's actually very successful if you look at other men and women as brothers and sisters, and you celebrate that fact. And you, and, you, and you protect their hearts. And you desire to love them and to see them grow as you would a brother or a sister. Jesus had friends like this and the family of God incorporates that same language for you and for me as well. That we would be able to navigate in this life without getting into weirdville. And I would just encourage you guys. This happens for me as a pastor all the time. A woman will come over and talk to me, want to pray, want to counsel. We've got all kinds of rules here at the church. No one-on-one -on -one counseling in private with male-female relationships to avoid any appearance of evil or even the possibility of weird things emotionally or physically happening. But I'll tell you what, and that's all good and that will continue. But what helps even more is to value one another as sisters, as brothers. It'll actually not just protect you from weirdness and nobody wants to walk around just, oh, I'm scared to, you know, to talk to people. 
but it will actually allow you to embrace people's lives and care for their hearts. When we see them as family, this is my family. I love you. And I want my love to be pure towards you. And I want to respect you and care for you. Jesus did that. And he models that for us with these two ladies. I got three more observations before we get into the the text, starting in verse 38. But here's another fact you need to see. Jesus, uh, this is observation number four. Jesus discipled and trained women for ministry. To sit at Jesus' feet was an official position. It says Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and heard his word. This was an official position that was both applied for and allowed for by the rabbi and the student. And for her to sit there with her journal out and to take notes was an official position, just like Paul the Apostle sat at the feet of Gamaliel and learned the law from him. And for her to sit there denotes the fact that Jesus was raising her up and discipling and training her for ministry. Okay? Now, this is pretty obvious to see in the scriptures, that women are involved in the ministry, that they are leaders, that they have been theologically trained and allowed to then serve in the biblical parameters that God has laid out for them. But it's important in our day and in our church that we recognize the biblical model okay, for both males and females in the scripture, because they're not the same, just like males and females aren't the same, but they're both detailed in the scripture in order to serve the Lord. Uh, as we see right here, Jesus taught women, he discipled women. Jesus gave revelation to women. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 4, Jesus gave, in my opinion, what I would say is the most clear revelation of who he was to anybody in his three years of biblical ministry. When he said to the woman at the well, not just a woman, but a Samaritan woman, not just a Samaritan woman, but a Samaritan woman who'd been married four times and was living with somebody else's husband at the time. And Jesus revealed himself more clearly to her than to anybody else when she said, we're just waiting for the Messiah to show up. That's kind of what we're doing. And Jesus smiled and said, he who speaks to you, is he? Is me. You know, Jesus, that's the clearest that he's, I'm the guy. For him to, so Jesus trains women. He disciples women. He reveals himself to women. Did you know that the very last group of people at the cross included some women? The very last people to see him peeled off the cross, dead. Some women caring for him. The very first people to the tomb were women. The very first people to be given the declaration that Jesus is risen, go tell people, were women. Numbered amongst the 72, or the 120, I should say, in the book of Acts, chapter 1 and 2, is women. This is so important that we understand this in its biblical context, that women are supposed to be trained, valued, educated, and used in the ministry of God, both at the church and at home, okay, as women lead in the home as well and have influence upon their men and upon their children and upon the people in their community i would point out as well that among the 12 apostles jesus did not have any women okay that's the biblical model among the elders in the church jesus did not have any women if you study the bible throughout there's no women in the office of elders but that in no way diminishes or devalues or denigrates the value of women at all it's obvious that women should be trained discipled and allowed to lead in the church and this is important that you again understand the difference of roles and responsibilities as per male and female but don't devalue what god has done for women this is and this is happening at south beach church there are there are more there are more women in leadership doing things okay throughout the week okay that i believe than there are men bible studies and trips and groups okay involvement in the church not not that it's a race okay it's not there's no there's no fight involved here but we want to be a part of a church that both values men and women in their god-given roles and responsibilities and their unique gifts and offerings now you guys are all aware that men and women are very different right we're all on the same page there very different 
very different, and it's awesome. And God's made it that way on purpose. Because men bring to the table what God has designed for them to bring to the table in their leadership and their prowess and their skill set and in their offering. And the same is true with women. He made them very different to bring their gift to the table in serving the church and also serving at home. Number five, this is fun. Uh, general observation, siblings are very different from one another, especially sisters. <laughs> Some sisters out there laughing. Mary and Martha are completely different. I mean, absolutely different from one another. And I imagine Lazarus is also unique in his differences because living with these two girls eventually killed him. You guys know that his story, right? Like he, he obviously was totally different. Hey, just read it. You, you, you know, I report, you decide. And so Lazarus dies and they're all mad about it. You guys, that's in John 12, note takers. And check that out. Uh, it's, it's awesome, though. Are you, are you who had siblings, some, some only children here don't know the difference or don't understand or didn't experience that, but you who have siblings, are you different than your siblings? Or is there just a, a massive difference both in architecture, the way you're structured, the way you look, and the way you sound, and the way you think? And It's, it's amazing that a mom and dad can come together, this is biology, how it happens, and they can then have some kids, and out of those kids, they're all different. It's crazy. It's so fun and so unique. And the skills and the tendencies and personalities are so different. And actually, it's amazing and worth celebrating. And I have three kids. You guys know that. And, uh, and they're fascinating to watch grow and interact with each other. And so unique and so different. It's just like a whole case study in itself. My 10-year-old Noah and my 8-year-old Nemo and my 6-year-old Acacia. These guys are so different than each other. And I can just stare at them. Like, You're crazy. You've got so much going on in your mind. So so much about you and look at the other one like are you guys even related you know it's just insane and I appreciate the differences because it's not always easy to appreciate the differences within siblings uh, we'll get to point six in just a minute here but let me just tell you a few stories I decided over the weekend this last week to pay my kids one penny per basket they make in our basketball hoop out in our driveway okay just a penny per shot I didn't think that was too extravagant no big deal penny per shot they're all on basketball teams I wanted them to get proficient in their skills and so Acacia went out there and then one day she made 150 baskets okay so she comes in I made 150 baskets you know she has kind of a speech impediment <laughs> I mean <laughs> you know so I was like whoa no way so I paid her out a buck 50 and she's the richest girl in the neighborhood now you know buck 50 and, and Noah no my 10 year old my older son he made 200 50 baskets just out there making layups and jump shots and 250 baskets Nemo on that particular Friday made 600 baskets okay the day before Thursday he made 400 baskets yesterday after his basketball game where he made the first basketball we made the first hoop in the game first score of the game he's the youngest kid on the team smallest kid on the team made the first basket came home and made another 500 baskets He's absolutely driven, and every day he tells me, he just points at the money jar that we have kind of some petty cash. He's like, Dad, pay up right now, you know, and, and the kid is like, he's getting rich, hand over fist. I'm like, are these all legit shots, dude, you know, and, he, and they're all different. They could all go out there and make $20 a day, but Nemo's driven to make these baskets and, and all these differences, all, just the differences. Acacia showed up to her basketball game yesterday with a backpack on, as you would imagine, some gear. But her backpack was leaking water, like kind of like, oh, man, what's going on in your bottle fall, you know? So my wife, who's her basketball coach, opened up the bag. What's going on in here? And inside her backpack to a basketball game was a snow globe, okay, <laughs> that had broken, okay? A snow globe. A snow globe. Basketball game, honey. We're going to a basketball. I brought my snow globe. What do you make a snow globe for? You know? 
additionally to a snow globe to a basketball game were some drawings that she had put together over the week she wanted to show her friends and some Shopkins figurines and some cars and all kinds of stuff. She's like a little butterfly in a little Play-Doh land. And, you know, I'm going to bring all my stuff to a basketball game. Just different strokes for different folks. After the basketball game was over, uh, Noah went home and Nemo went right to work shooting shots and Keisha went to play with her broken snow globe and Noah went upstairs and he found this kind of high-level erector set that we had done some stuff before as a, you know, dad and son before, but I was in Eugene all day yesterday, and so he, he, he just grabbed it and said, I'm going to do this. So beginning at step one, he began to just construct things and has gears and motors and levers and swinging baskets and all this crazy. He built this huge contraption yesterday because he's 10 and he can read finally and he's up there just making stuff while his brother's shooting hoops and sister's under the table playing with her dolls and just the differences are so amazing. Matter of fact, Noah, I was driving with him uh, three days ago. We were driving around South Beach and I was showing him some of the different areas where we would like to relocate and the reasons why and this land and that parcel and just kind of showing him and he's in the front row just in the front seat just asking questions about what about that land? And I was telling him kind of the history of each parcel and who owns it, how much has been offered and what it's worth and what we could fit there. And he began to finish my sentences as I was going and how things could work and how that would never work and how that might work. And he had, and all of a sudden he's on the building search committee now. He's, he's, he's going to be leading the next group and he just has this mind like, who is this kid, you know? And I don't expect to have that conversation with my other two anytime soon. Snow globe. Here's the deal. Observation number five, siblings are different. And I love my kids amazingly and equally, but they're not the same kids. They're very different, and we celebrate those differences. And we protect them, too. There, there are certain things that other kids and siblings are good at, and I, I want them to grow in that. And there's other th- That's not their strength. I wouldn't have my kids do certain things or be tested in a certain way because it's not going to be good for them. It's not going to help them. I, I protect my kids. And God makes you and I different as siblings of the same family. We're all very unique. We're studying Mary and Martha today. They're very different from each other. And uh, you guys are different. Raise your hand if you're different. Okay. Some of you are actually really different. Like different, different. But that's okay. Too. You raise your hand. And we celebrate that difference, man. Celebrate. I mean, I look at myself in the mirror. I'm like, dude, this guy's nuts. Who is this guy? This guy's different. And that's fine. And the Lord wants to use you and use me and use us in the way that we were crafted. Okay, last final observation before we move on. I'm taking my time, having fun. Okay, siblings are different from another. And that annoys us. Okay? When somebody is different than you, it annoys you. Gets under your skin. Why do you think that way? Why did you do it that way? Why are you, why are you that way? This is how it is. We're very proud of ourselves. We're very aware of ourselves. We know how it works in the process and the elimination and the, 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 the results and all that. And somebody thinks completely different than you. If you're not careful, it will annoy you to no end. As you grow and mature, by God's grace, you begin to appreciate other people's differences. And you actually value them, especially in a marital situation or even in a familial situation or especially in a working situation. And you begin to realize, man, my team. As a matter of fact, uh, there's Pastor Esai in the back. We got Pastor Marty floating around. I haven't even seen him all day. Is Pastor Marty even here today? He's here today. He's, what's he doing? Is he even working? Is he even working? He's doing stuff. He's working. Pastor Bo's working. Pastor Rory's up there teaching. This is our main pastoral staff. We got five guys. And when I look at these guys, I'm like, they're all so different than me. 
so different. The last thing we need is a, more, a couple more Luke Freshettes here. We need a couple other guys that are very different and unique in their offering and what they bring to the table. And it's by God's design that he's allowed these men to help me lead this church. And it's so fun to see the differences. And when we come together at a staff meeting, if I showed up and said, all right, guys, here's the ideal. Here's what I think. And here's where we're going. And here's how it's going to be. I have no value for their input or for their offering or for their help. But instead, we come together as a team. We say, hey, you're very different than me. And you know what? That sometimes annoys me. But... I'm going to learn. I'm going to grow. I, I want to I see what you have. Here's the problem, though. In our sin, okay, we just, we're bothered by our, our siblings and their differences. Matter of fact, uh, if you grew up with siblings, you probably fought with your siblings. And uh, this is part of God's developmental process for you to become a better person, growing up with people different than you. And that's very... <laughs> It's very, it's very uh, telling of what God's doing in your heart when you're around somebody that's absolutely different than you and makes you mad as a kid. Again, this is part of God's way of developing you. And eventually you learn just to tolerate people and leave minimal marks. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'll choke you when dad's not looking. You know, I'm, I'm going to get after you. Even this morning, I'm studying my notes, sitting with all three of my kids and the dog, and I'm not sure what happened. It was fast. And i got to stop talking about my kids in a couple years when they get older and it's going to be over. No more stories, but now I can tell stories now. I'm not sure what happened. Some, Nemo did something in Acacia's foot and stepped on slap. And next thing I know, Acacia comes down with this six-year-old hand slap right on, boom, on the back of Nemo's back. And slowly but surely, this beautiful little handprint began to show up on his back. You know, and everyone's in trouble. And I'm trying to get in the spirit, you know. We're all, man. Because what happens is, and I, 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 matter of fact, I can't remember what psalm it is right now. But it says, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to, del- to dwell together in unity. It's like the beard of, the oil uh, flowing down the beard of Aaron. And every parent, every, listen, children especially, but every parent, we want our kids to dwell in unity. We just want them to get along. Is it, wouldn't it be awesome? That's my, my greatest wish. I was going to say joy. Hasn't happened yet. My greatest wish is that my kids would just get along. And they're just built-in friends. And they do actually get along pretty well. Let me just put it on us now. In this room, very different people. We're the family of God. There's a lot of differences here. A lot, and I'm thankful. If we were all the same, boring. Instead, God's made us all unique and different. And if we're not careful, that will annoy you and annoy me. And I'll let my sin get the best of me. And I'll categorize you. And I'll put you over here. And I'll distance myself from you. And if no one's looking, I'll give you a big slap on the back. You know, And all that stuff happens. Or we say, you know what? There's a rub going on here in the church. It's hard to get along with everybody. Okay, what are you going to do? Well, I think I'll stop going. Okay. How's that life group going? Well, it was going good, but everyone there annoyed me. So what'd you do? Why quit? No, 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 no. They're supposed to annoy you. That's right. That's right. They're they're different than you. You don't want to go to the life group that everyone's exactly the same as you and everyone does the exact same thing. They would annoy you too, by the way. But the people that are completely opposite from you in your church are supposed to be that way in order that you would have the opportunity to grow and also to be better, okay? I love when I am humble, which happens from time to time, and I'm speaking with my wife, and she'll have this crazy outlook on a situation or a topic that I have already concluded the outcome to. And she'll have something completely different to offer to me. What are you talking about? A, I never would have thought of that. B, that makes me look like I'm wrong. I don't know how to process this. And I'm learning as a husband. God's given me a wife that is different than me in order to help me. She sees things completely different than I do. 
completely different. She's the Mary and I'm the Martha. And it's awesome. And we help each other. And this is how it's supposed to be in the family of God. So let me ask this question, okay? We're moving on. Uh, which one are you? Are you a Mary or a Martha? Okay, Mar Martha, she's a doer. Do, 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 think, 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 list, 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 act, 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 talk, 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 go, go, go. She's a man, extrovert, highly motivated, Martha. She's a doer. Mary's more of a beer, not a doer. She's a beer. Beer, by the way, is not a word. If you write it out, it just spells beer, okay? So just, <laughs> I wrote that. I was like, what is she, a beer? No, she's not, a beer. She, she wants to just be. She's happy just being, just in the presence of God, just doesn't need a lot to make everything great. As a matter of fact, doesn't want a lot going on. She's more contemplative and, and introspective and thinking and easier to find herself in joy where Martha's always after joy, going after joy, trying to find this. So which one are you? I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but figure it out. Which one are you? Are Martha? Are you have Martha proclivities or do you have Mary proclivities? And figure out who you are. Then we're going to identify some weaknesses within Martha and some strengths within Mary and try and find the two because I believe God wants us to be Martha's with a merry heart. I believe, every, I believe God wants each and every one of us to, to want to be a Martha who served, who was hospitable, who was willing, she was can-do, but to do it with a merry heart. To, to not get distracted. That's the biggest problem with Martha. She was distracted. Jesus was in her house, and she wasn't happy. <laughs> wow. Jesus was in the living room teaching her sister. She's peeling potatoes. You know. Finally, she can't handle it. She goes out there with a wooden spoon. Jesus! Jesus! You want me to smack you? And Jesus is like, what? Wow, you know, no wonder you're not married, you know, or whatever, you know. <laughs> All right, you know, calm down, Martha. Put the spoon away. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I, again, I think Martha gets a bad rap a little bit. I want to defend her because I am a Martha. But I'm, I'm, I've been doing this long enough where I'm like, man, I just, I got to get the merry heart. Martha's, Martha's who get the merry hearts are amazing. And they get stuff done. They can pull off impossible things. Like this meal for Jesus and his disciples and the other people that were with them. No, no big deal. But they don't lose their minds because they're in the, and I've been, and maybe I'm even in a season right now where I am a Martha sands that merry heart. And I don't want to keep doing it. I don't want to keep going, crying. It's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. You've got to, you know, feed the people and do stuff. And Jesus says, that's, that's fine. What you're doing is great. Don't be distracted along the process. And Martha's are always moving, always planning, always working, always one step ahead. Martha's won't uh, ever take a break. As a matter of fact, if you're a Martha, what happens is at your house, you'll be home. You'll get some things organized. You'll sit down finally. And the first thought is, I didn't change the laundry around. You'll pop back up and change the laundry around and come back down and sit down. You're like, is that table really that dirty? You know, and you'll get up and clean the table. And then you're cleaning the mirrors. And then you're cleaning everything. And you're cleaning the closet. You just, you just keep going and keep going. You don't know how to stop. And I'll tell you what, I am a Martha. I don't do uh, well at doing nothing. I, I don't like to take a scheduled day off because what if I have to work on that day? It's not going to work. You know, what other stuff to do? And I find myself being a Martha uh, very well. And uh, Mary's, on the other hand, they love to be in the moment. They love to listen, to talk, read, sit, write, journal. 
And uh, Marys are naturally just more calm. They don't like to be the center of attention. They don't really like to be in large crowds. Uh, and if you have an excuse to not attend an event, you'll take it anytime. And uh, otherwise, you'll meet a Martha who wants to dominate the night, and that's going to be uncomfortable for you. Marys also, I find, don't uh, multitask very well. I'm not saying that they can't. They just don't do it very well. Where if you're a Martha, you can multitask. You can take a test. You can give a test. You can flunk a test, and you can cheat on a test all at the same time if you're a Martha. It's like, I did it all, you know. And it's just amazing the differences. And uh, Marys are, again, uh, more contemplative, thoughtful. I'd even say more spiritual and uh, uh, as a matter of fact, Marys are awesome. Marthas are awesome. I'm married uh, to a Mary. Her name's Crystal. And uh, I, I asked her yesterday. I wanted to make sure. I'm a Martha. Double check. I, I control things. Like, hey, Crystal, just if, if you were to choose Mary or Martha, you would, you would be a Mary, right? And she looked at me like I was an idiot. Like, what are, you, are we having this conversation 17 years later? You know, like, of course I'm a Mary, you know. You know I'm a Mary. I was like, well, I'm just making sure, you know, I'm a Martha. I got to double check, you know. Got to double check. And, and so maybe you're sitting here today. Like, I don't know if I'm a Mary or a Martha. You're a Mary. Okay, all the Marthas know they're Marthas. Like, I got it. I figured it out. If you're, I don't know. You're, you're a Mary, and uh, maybe with a little bit of Martha in you as well. Now, let's just celebrate the differences. Okay, I've got to get into this. Look at verse 38. Okay, it says, Now it happened as they went, and they entered a certain village. A certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. This is awesome. Martha's having a banner day. She's, re- she's, she's all martha out. Martha Stewart, Jesus has come by. Jesus has come by. That's going to be a big deal. you got all your buddies. Everyone's here. You know what? We got you. Come on in. Place is ready to go. If it's not ready to go, I'll get it ready to go. And because of her hospitality, her prowess, and her gift, she had Jesus in her house. Matter of fact, Mary could give her a big thank you for allowing the whole setup of the next scene for Martha's ability to do what needed to be done. And for those of you who are Martha's, okay, you see a project, we can do that. We can pull that off. We got that. They need that done, we can do that. This is happening, I want to be a part of it. They need help over there, we'll send resources. We'll make this happen. And there needs to be many, many Marthas at home or in business or at church making things happen. Okay? This has to be the case. As a matter of fact, I would say each and every one of us have to have some Martha within us as long as we've been that Mary first. Every single one of us. Mary, actually, this is what she does. Verse 39, and she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. And Mary's so pumped that Jesus is in the house. She's not worried about the meal. She's not worried about the bedding. She's not worried about any other arrangements. She went into a room, got her journal, got her pen, got a guitar, got a pillow, started singing Jesus' song. She's all fired. Jesus is here. That's all we need. Jesus is here. Martha's like, Jesus is here. Shut up. We're doing stuff, you know. Like, totally different perspective. And Martha's like, oh, you know, Mary's, Mary's sitting there just so fired up. Oh, this is the best day ever. And the, Mar- the Marys and the Marthas, man, they can conflict. They get at each other. If you're married to a Mary or Martha, you see this. You're driving to work. Don't ever let Mary drive to church, okay? You'll be late, okay? <laughs> Mary's going to take the short route, the long route, whatever, the scenic route, you know. And the Martha's over there going, why'd you take this route? Why'd you take this route? This is not the right route, you know. And Martha's are freaking out on Facebook, on Twitter, on MapQuest all at the same time. And then you get to church and you're late because Mary drove and Martha's mad, you know. Now we don't have a spot to sit, you know. And all Mary wanted to do was pull over and turn worship music on and maybe skip church and, hey, we can worship Jesus here, <laughs> you know. Man, it just gets nuts. Well, Mary is doing the right thing. Look at verse 40. Uh-oh. Martha was distracted with much serving. She approached him. And by the way, serving and much serving are both okay. It's the distracted part. And this is it. This is like, at that point, it's a big time out. You're going to get reproved, not rebuked, reproved by Jesus. 
He would look at you who are Marthas and say, wow, you're busy, crazy, doing a lot of stuff. Reminds me of the church in, Ephes- or in Revelation that was addressed by Jesus. Wow, you, you're, you got Bible studies, and you got men's groups, and women's groups, and you got CR, and you got youth group, you're doing bake sales. You don't do bake sales one day, you do bake sales the next day, you know, you're crazy. I love it, I love it. You know what I don't, you know what I don't love, though? You, you left your first love. You're not sitting at the feet. Jesus reproved that church. He said, you guys got to figure this out. Keep doing, keep slaying it, man, adding services, adding outreaches, adding inreaches, do stuff. You better get back to loving me first, though. You do the Mary stuff first, and then you do the Mar- Martha stuff well. She was distracted. Distra- can, can you imagine, and I can, being distracted from the one you serve in an attempt to serve him? The irony Jesus is here saying, yeah, let's, let's have a meet. This is gonna, Jesus knows what's going on, by the way. This is more than just a, you know, night that he needs there so we can go mission and tour. He's helping these two gals. Martha blows it, verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. She's completely oblivious to who she's talking to. Just think about two, two things that come out of her mouth right here. Lord, don't you care? Time out. Jesus was on his way to pay for the sins of the world. There couldn't have been a greater care. His commitment to her and to the world, and, and, and yet because of her impatience, she, she looked at God and said, don't, don't you even know what's going on right now? The potatoes are boiling. Okay, the lasagna is cooking over. Do you? And what happens if you're not at the feet of Jesus in the attempt to live for Jesus, you'll begin to get mad at Jesus because he doesn't condone your ministry or back your play, doesn't care about your deal. And then she goes on to say, can you please tell her to help? I need help feeding everyone. Apparently, Martha had forgotten that Jesus knows how to feed people pretty easily if he needs to. He can make, he can make food too. Apparently, she forgot that. Remember that time Jesus got a you know, happy meal from that little kid and fed a whole village? She forgot that. Check it out, Marthas. If you're not careful, if you don't spend time at Jesus' feet, not only will you get impatient with him, you'll forget the resources that he has to offer in the very effort that you're trying to accomplish. I've done this. I've been just stressed out. Lord, I'm trying to save people. I'm trying to do things. I'm trying to feed the nations, Lord. Don't you care? And the Lord said, wow, time out for you. Time out. Let's do some merry time. Let's spend time together. And look what Jesus says. Verse 41, and Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're so worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary's chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. I believe I wasn't there, neither were you, but I believe Jesus' tone was very enduring, maybe even a little playful. Here he is teaching this lecture, this wonderful time, Mary's journaling. Martha comes in with her wooden spoon trying to whack somebody. <laughs> Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, Martha, you're worried about so many things. It's don't need, only one thing is needed, just one. And whether it be just, maybe he was very simplifying the menu. Just bring some bread. We don't need potatoes and lasagna. Just, we just, this is very simple. I don't need anything. Or maybe it was the one thing that Mary had partaken in which is being with jesus let me just say it this way though jesus wasn't mad at martha he loved her i want you to look at jesus's voice as saying this to you and to me martha you've been in the kitchen the whole time 
and, and I appreciate that. But I miss you. I actually like you, Martha. I actually love you. I kind of wish you were right here. We don't even need to eat. Don't worry about that. You know what I want the most, Martha? I want to be with you. I don't have a lot of friends. I've got fans. I've got foes. You're my friend. You're my daughter. You're my sister. I want to be with you. And this motivation for you Marthas out there is what I believe the Lord whispered to you today. Just come here. Don't, you're busy? That's, I understand, but I love you. And I'm just going to be real candid. When I became a Christian, it wasn't so I could serve the Lord. It was because the Lord had served me. When I gave my life to Jesus in full surrender, it was because of what he had done. It, is because, it was because of a merry moment when I had nothing to offer, only that which to gain. And that's what motivated me to commit the rest of my life to serving him, was a merry moment. And the Lord would say to me, and he is saying to me, Luke, how, how's your merry moments? You're, you're doing pretty good at martha and you need to put that spoon away. Stop getting mad at people. Stop getting mad at stuff. And you need to marry some more. You marry first, you Martha second. We're not going to see Mary and Martha again in the Gospel of Luke. This is their only four verses. That's all they get. They're gone. In the story, about six weeks from now, they'll show up again. It's in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, right before Jesus dies. And Mary and Martha are there again. And you know what's happening in that scene? Two things I need you to consider. Number one, Martha is serving again. Not getting rebuked, not getting rebuked. She's a servant. It's what she does. And in John chapter 12, it says Martha was cooking potatoes and lasagna. It doesn't say that, but she, she was cooking. And she was doing it with a joyful heart, cooking for Jesus. That's who she was. She needed to go back to ground zero and recalibrate to be the best Martha she could be. And she becomes that. She, she responds well to this reproof. And then I want you to just trip out for a minute. Mary is there too. And yet Mary is also, yet again, sitting at the feet of Jesus, just like this time. But this time she's crying. She has an alabaster jar full of spikenard. She breaks it. She puts it on his feet. She takes her hair. And she anoints his feet and washes his feet in great, deep worship. And while she's doing that in John 12, the men there make fun of her. What are you doing? What the heck are you doing? One guy in particular, Judas Iscariot. He says, this is a waste of money. You could have used that for the poor. Jesus says, you be quiet. He says, this woman has done this, anointing me for my burial. And what she has done today will be preached until I return to all generations wherever the gospel is taught. This story, this day. Now let me just tell you something. Nobody but Mary knew that Jesus was about to die. Nobody knew. That Jesus was about to sacrifice. How did Mary know? Because she had a merry moment with her journal. And when Jesus was teaching in this setting, she heard deeper than anybody else. She got it. This theologian, this warrior, this worshiper, and she knew, oh, you're the lamb. You're, you're going to die. Nobody understood that until Jesus would die and raise from the dead and everybody would get it. And Mary had this divine revelation both these women are heroes, heroes of the faith, friends of Jesus, models for our learning. If you get anything out of today, it would be this. Be a better Mary.
and you'll be a great Martha. Okay? You need to do both. There's excuses that float around in the merry circle from time to time. I just, I'm just going to meditate on it. I'm just going to pray about it. You know? I'm just going to learn, figure out. How long have you been in Bible college? 30 years. What? You need to do something. Stop. You know, do something. Serve. And, and she does that. I'm going to have the worship team come up, and they're going to lead us in a closing song. And I, and I hope you have been encouraged in the study of God's word and in the reflection, because I believe God has so much more in store for us. Nothing is going to be done here at South Beach Church or in your life, though, well, if you don't have a merry heart. Nothing. That's your biggest problem. I get people all the time ask me this question. Pastor Luke, I just don't know what to do with my life. I don't know where to go. I don't know where to move. I don't know who to date. I don't know how to, how to, how to work. Or I don't know what to do. What, should, what do you think I should do? And I help people. I give counsel when I can. But the biggest problem for every single person is, is, are you marrying? Are you sitting at the feet of Jesus? That's what you need to do. Sometimes I'll meet a younger Christian who's just freaking out. Am I doing it right? Am I pleasing the Lord? Am I, what do I do? How do I do this? I'll, you just need to marry the, marry the Lord. Just sit at his feet. And he will tell you how to Martha for him. I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your kindness toward us. Lord, for this little case study on these two sisters. And I ask in Jesus' name, Lord, that we would believe that you really do just love us. You really do just like us. That you want to be with us. Lord, that we would believe that. And that would be our motivator. Lord, I would be the first to repent of being a Martha without a Mary's heart. Lord, I, I repent. I'm sorry. I want to be a good Martha. I want to go hard in the pain. I want to serve. I want to do many things for you. But I want to do it, Lord, out of an overflow, out of an abundance of connection with you. And if you're here today and you just want to respond in this way, just raise your hand. If you want a merry heart so you can be a Martha in this world, raise your hand up right now and just say, I want to do that. If you need a, a merry heart, a bigger marriage, just raise your hand big. Lord, give me a merry heart. You, put your hand up, Lord. And I pray you just convict the men and women here that they would do what needs to be done to be those worshipers. That they wouldn't neglect the one thing. That they would pursue the one thing wholeheartedly. Maybe get up an hour early tomorrow. Cancel an appointment. Schedule it in. Do something. Buy a journal. Get in the book again. Sing songs. Meditate. Pray. That you might be a better Martha after have been a better Mary. You can put your hands down. Father, I pray that you would do that in Jesus' name. As we come to the table, may we be reminded of your great love for us, that, Lord, you died, you were buried, and you rose again, paying for our sins, past, present, and future. And we now have nothing to fear, no shame in life, no fear in death because of what you've done. We do what we do now, proclaiming your death until you return. In Jesus' name, we pray.